This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. It's time for football. Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. Hello and welcome to Just for Kicks with me, Cam Ruslan. And today's pundits are, we have Nicholas Anil. Hey, Cam. How's it going? Well, it's going good for me. I guess not <laughs> not so good for our two pundits today. Uh, Nicholas Anil is a Leeds supporter. And a Manchester United supporter, Sean Malhotra. Hi, hi, everyone. Hope everyone has a good start to the week. I know I've not. <laughs> Yeah, professional, professional. Professional, professional. (laughs) Right. And uh, we're going to be looking at EPL and Champions League and Europa League and Europa Conference League and then a little bit of uh, Sea Games with uh, Malaysia at the end. So let's start with the top of the league. There were uh, clashes with, well, you know, the the soon-to-be anointed, re-anointed league champions, Manchester City 2, Leeds 1. I'll come to you in a minute with the Leeds perspective, Nicholas. But uh, Sean, I, I, it's, it's, been a, it's been a lonely campaign. I've been saying for months that uh, Haaland is rubbish and he makes Man City yeah. worse. And I think I've been proven right now. He failed to score, open goal, so many chances, and he just can't put it away. I mean, it proves he's human, isn't it? Uh, he had so many good chances. I mean, he hit the post, came close right in front of goal as well. I think Joe, Joe Robles pulled off a good save. Eh, sorry, not Joe Robles. Uh, 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 who did they play at the weekend? Wow, I'm totally lost. But uh, The goalkeeper. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> he had a chance to score from the spot. Very unlike him to probably pass it to Gundogan to, you know, to complete his hat-trick and everything, but... You see that City team now is playing more cohesively. Even without him scoring, the team still performs well. I think that's the most important thing is the team performs well. It's not just mm-hmm. about him anymore. Start of the season, we all were saying that Haaland could, you know, maybe be unbalancing things in the City team. But right now, they've got it all working. It's like cogwork for them, right? Like, there is no weakness I see in the City team currently, which is quite scary to think. And I think it, you got to give major credit and maybe some people would say discredit to Arsenal for actually being able to keep up the race to this point because City are a point ahead currently, but they, of course they have a game in hand over Arsenal. And at this moment in time, I honestly think it's going to go down to the last day and not because I don't think, you know, I think City's going to drop points or anything, but I think both teams are just going to keep winning till the end of the season. Mixed for mm. good watching. Well, speaking of going down to the wire, uh, Nicholas, I didn't watch this match. When I saw the scoreline 2-1, I thought, oh, Leeds must have, uh, you know, stood a chance. It was a pretty comprehensive win. Bit of jitters at the end of the match. But we're going to be looking much more at the, the bottom of the table. But I think this is where the excitement is with this league now coming in to the end. And Leeds, are they going to, I mean, mm, I don't know. <laughs> well, you're, you're right, first and foremost. Uh, the scoreline uh, didn't do justice to the performance, uh, especially for City. You know, they were utterly dominant. And just for the brief spell, right after that penalty miss and Rodrigo getting that, uh, pulling one goal back, uh, Leeds were utterly laid out of the park. Um, but they were never expected to get anything from this game. Let's be clear about that. You know, Even though there was a so-called manager bounce with Big Sam coming in. Um, this was always going to be attack versus defence. And I was not surprised to see uh, Big Sam parking the bus in front of the Leeds goal. And they did well for the first 20 minutes. And then after that, it sort of uh, fell apart. 
you see, for all the the, the defending, uh, uh, parking the bus that leads did, you know, there is still a little bit of lack of cutting edge, especially when it comes to being alert um, and watching players that you know are not being picked up. And Ilke Gundogan scoring goals was a perfect example of that. Uh, you see almost every single Leeds United players in the box, but nobody noticed Gundogan just standing right outside that box waiting for Mares to set but, him up. Uh, yeah, but it was a hell of a shot. I mean, you know... You... It was, but if you were, <laughs> if, he, if he was closed down earlier, uh, he probably could have gotten deflected away um, and, you know, it, the goal may not have happened. But you got to give credit uh, where credit is due. Uh, City deserved the win. Um and for me, that, that small scant of consolation came um, when Rodrigo pulled the goal back. It shows that the Leeds United players still have fight in them to see City, you know, uh, keeping the ball at the corner flag at the end of the game showed us that Leeds are still, you know, battling. They, they've, they've got some sort of renewed optimism. Um, but the three games, the next three games are going to be absolutely crucial. It's, it's pretty much do or die. You know, got Newcastle, uh, Newcastle at home, and then it's a trip away to West Ham, followed by Spurs at home. All tough, tough matches. Very briefly, though, Nicholas, are you a, a big Sam fan? Are you like thumbs up, thumbs down? At, at, at this juncture, I think Big Sam is. We've got to make do with Big Sam, and, and hopefully, he can conjure up uh, something for us. Um, and when I look at the table, it gives me sort of an optimism because even though it's all red in the in the in the Leeds record as of now, somehow miraculously we are outside the relegation zone. And like you mentioned, you know, this has got to do with the intensity of the relegation battle that is unfolding. You know, mm-hmm. Leeds have lost like six, seven matches on on the trot, and they're still not down there. So it gives yeah. a little bit more optimism, but I cannot emphasize enough uh, the the importance of trying to get points on the board i think perhaps six or seven points would, would survive in a season yeah. like this you know even even if you don't reach the 40 point mark uh there's a big chance you might stay up yeah so uh sean meanwhile if uh man city two leads one didn't really show the scoreline newcastle nil arsenal two i don't think really is an honest reflection of the score the the, the, the gameplay there it was a hell of a match and it could have gone both ways but arsenal came through deserved winners 100% I think the game plan was was perfect from Arteta and Arsenal they played really well I think in the first 10 to 15 minutes you could say there was a a penalty shout for Newcastle I don't know if you know we've seen two calls over the weekend that look very similar one in the the Newcastle Arsenal game and one more in the United and West Ham game look very similar any other day that could have been given story could be different as well but I think Martin Odegaard has had probably the best season of his career and it was summed up with that goal against Newcastle. Mm. It was sublime and it looked really good but the best part about the game was end-to-end. I, I came into the game about I think 25 minutes in and I was like, wow, wow Newcastle are really at it. And I was, mm. Before that, I was being told Arsenal were at it so I was like, oh. I think the main threat came down uh, Newcastle's right. They were giving a lot of problems down the right side but you saw Ateta brought on Tierney and that got nullified real quick. The part that brought a smile to my face, maybe the sadistic side of me, was that Arsenal played a tactic that Newcastle have done really well this season, which is to literally waste time in the game, keep the ball out, take time with your substitutions. And Eddie Howe came out with statements that he didn't enjoy the fact that they were wasting time. The irony is bliss, to be honest. But 
you saw the golf in class. Arsenal players still believe that they can take this all the way down to the last day. It's not in their hands entirely anymore. A City, if they win every single game, will be champions. But Arsenal can surely take them all the way. And I think the performance against Newcastle is a great indication. It's not easy to go to St. James's Park and get three points. I think the only team that's gone to St. James's Park and gone three points is Liverpool this season. So for Arsenal to have done that, showed great character. I think Cambridge United also got a... a (laughs) (laughs) Nicholas, I mean, these two teams, Newcastle and and Arsenal, they must, I mean, on paper, this has been a a fantastic season for both of them. But the Arsenal players, they must be feeling kind of wretched right now. It's amazing that they're able to just bring themselves to to get onto the pitch at all, isn't it? No, I don't think so. Uh, I think uh, ever since that that City disappointment uh, being dropped by City, they bounced back rather well. Um, you know, they beat Chelsea comprehensively and followed it up against uh, Newcastle. These are two big teams uh, that, you know, on paper, I think Arteta would have penciled as perhaps 50-50. Uh, maybe, maybe Chelsea more so than Newcastle. But to come to Newcastle, you know, uh, get that clean sheet even uh, against a team that has been the most defensively rock solid. You know, it was such an outstanding performance. And I think it's given the... Uh, optimism and renewed the belief of the players, uh, like Sean mentioned, that they could go on all the way till the end of the season and push City. Because in the Arsenal camp, they pretty much have nothing else to lose. You know, it's sort of out of their hands. They've just got to win all their matches. You know, they've got Brighton, they've got Wolves, um, the other team, I'm not sure. But they, they'll be looking at, at these teams, you know, um, and, and thinking, we can get uh, nine points from the next three games. And and let's see what happens to City. You know, City have a huge Champions League game coming up. And, mm. you know, they may be distracted uh, with that. So anything could happen between yeah. now and then. But for Arsenal, it's just going to be going out with the same sort of belief and trying to win every match. So in a moment, uh, after the break, we're going to come back and we're going to look at the, the teams fighting for Champions League places uh, here on Just for Kicks or BFM 89.9. More football when we come back. Just for Kicks, BFM 89.9. Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. And we're back with Sean and Nicholas. And now, Sean, your moment in the sun. It was West Ham 1, Manchester United 0. West Ham, I'm sorry, West Ham. uh, Manchester United have been faltering in the last few matches. And I've got to ask the question, will De Gea be there next season? Oh man, I I thought about this all night and, and this morning as well, and I probably could write a book about the things I need to say, but I don't have that kind of time. <laughs> but I don't want to be one of those fans to fully blame the owners all the time because that's just an, an easy cop out, right? But there is a worry there that we're coming to the mid of May now, the season's coming to an end, the ownership hasn't been been solved yet. So part of me feels, after what Eric Ten Hag said after the game, that you know the Gea made a mistake but you know he's been solid for us all season most clean sheets and probably offering him a new contract now that's not something I know most United fans will want to hear but it's something that seems like a reality if this ownership isn't resolved because how can a manager plan for a new season when he doesn't know what funds he has at hand or what he can do you can't just go out and buy a keeper to come in straight away and buy a striker those are the two things United need it's going to be either or at the moment and United Probably, in my heart, I think they're going to keep De Gea for at least one, two more seasons. My main issue, it's easy to point the finger at David De Gea after last night. 
it's a save that any keeper should be making. It's a massive blunder from his end. But it's been coming. It's been coming ever since the League Cup win against Newcastle. United have faulted big time. Many individual errors, many injuries, players playing out of position. This United team can only survive for a single half. After that half is over, you see a lack of creating. You see a lack of desire, a lack of passion, anything. Because they, they spent, they played 57 games this season. The most of any team in Europe. Now, you could say that happens when you're you know, fighting on all fronts. But you don't have the depth for it. And I think Eric Ten Hag is learning that the hard way now. United need nine points from the remaining 12 required. Luckily for United, they play three games at home out of the four if Liverpool are to win every single one of their games. But a month ago, United were 10 points clear. Now we're looking at it as United are only a, a point clear of Liverpool. In the but with the game in hand. With the game in with hand. With the game in hand, but the game in hand is against Chelsea. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, we could all say, oh, it's Chelsea could be an easy game, but I don't personally think that because, like I said, this United team can only play for one half. After that half is over, it's all in God's hand at that point. Yeah. So, I still think yeah. that United are better than Bournemouth. I think that they'll, 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 they'll be able to I'm pretty sure Liverpool fans <laughs> thought that too when they went there. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, Nicholas, um, I invite you to kick a man while he's down. Uh, because surely the mistakes are at the front. I mean, you know, goalkeepers make mistakes. I mean, that's just the way it is. But they, they fail to really muster much of a display at front. I mean, this has been United's one of their biggest problems, right? Uh, if not for Marcus Rashford's 30 goals this season. Uh, you wanted to think where would United's position be uh, even in the league table because Weghouse, for all his industry, his work rate uh, and his commitment to the cause has not delivered the goals. Anthony Martial has uh, not played enough to get enough goals. Um, uh, even Anthony, for me, you know, for all his silkiness, for all his uh, skills on the wing, uh, you know what he's going to do all the time when he cuts in from that right wing. Um, and you expect uh, someone like him to score a little bit more goals, but he's not chimed in as much either. So, like Sean mentioned, you know, uh, United's strike force has been one of the biggest issues in, in their push for Champions League sport. Um, and... I don't want to kick them down too much because when I when I watched the the, the PC uh, um, of of the match, uh, David Moyes was surprisingly generous in his backing of United, and I think he could resonate a lot with the fact that United have played way too many games, and he said this United was just not the normal United, and I can feel for them because they played not too long ago, a couple of days back, and here they are again playing and. He says that with a lot of conviction because his West Ham team have been doing the same in the Conference League. So, like, like, like Sean mentioned, all those points, you know, playing so many matches, uh, injuries to key players, uh, Gay are prone to, the, to, to these kind of mistakes and firepower, uh, not plundering enough goals is, is what uh, has caused United to, you know, still be fighting uh, for their Champions League spot. Yeah. Uh, but uh, congratulations to West Ham, though. I would say that that win puts them into safety. 37 points. Uh, yeah, you, I think both both the guys agree there. So it's now a battle for, between, well, I don't know, like 10 teams. Like, I've got to count them. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, Sean, I got we got two games coming up, which I don't really know what to say about these. The, the Spurs and the Liverpool. But I'm going to start off with the Liverpool. Liverpool won, Brentford nil. A while ago, Des Corkill kept saying, you know, Liverpool could, could still really get into the Champions League. And I was going, no way. That's just not going to happen. But it has been a relentless display from them and flashes of 
old Liverpool, but we're two one nil scorelines. That's not Liverpool. Uh, I think you know if you look at the scoreline, you could say yeah, it's it was a close game. No, 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 no. But they had chances to kill off the game. There were many chances that Liverpool had. Salah was getting behind. Gakpo was getting behind. Even Darwin Nunes was getting behind. They have chances. They're just not putting it away. But I think looking at where Liverpool were six months ago and where they are now, a lot has changed. Luis Diaz is back. That's a huge plus for Liverpool. Jurgen Klopp, I think, finally reading all the tweets out there that you know Trent Alexander-Arnold can't defend, has incorporated him in a very different role. It, it sometimes looks like Liverpool is playing with a back three because Trent is pretty much centrally playing as a creative player. So he's covered for in that sense. I think he's figured, I mean, in Klopp's sense, he's figured that out. It's at the right time. It's the exact opposite of what United are going through. There are Liverpool players who are look extremely fit right now. The Liverpool players who, I don't think they have any injuries of note that they have to worry about when it comes to their first 11. They understand the significance of these last three to four weeks. How, again, much like Arsenal, it's in their hands. They just literally need to win all their games and hope that United drop points or even Newcastle drops points and they have every opportunity to end up back in the back four. Uh, sorry, in the top four. I think this is a great credit to Jurgen Klopp because there was so much doubts about him earlier in the season about how he you know, probably didn't invest right, about how he's got so many injuries, he was making excuses. But look at them now. I think they've won six or seven games on the bounce. So if you look at back-to-back one nils, you've got to look bigger than that. They've won six games in a row and I think they've only conceded two goals maybe in that time but they've been brilliant and that's something both Newcastle United and Manchester United have to look out for mm. uh, Nicholas I'm, I'm not going to invite you to talk about uh, Liverpool I want to jump you ahead to Spurs 1 Crystal Palace nil because Spurs are just like the most the, the weirdest enigma in perhaps in world football <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they've arrested their losing streak and they managed to stop free scoring Crystal Palace so Spurs are back, and Spurs are great, are they? And um, and will Harry Kane be there next year? Well, I wouldn't say Spurs are back. Spurs have been blowing hot and cold since the start of the season. Uh, they've won, and then the next game, you know, they've lost, they've dropped points. They've never been able to put a consistent run. But I like what Ryan Mason has done, is galvanise uh, this team ahead of such a huge match. You've got to remember that Spurs came into this match on the back of that excruciating 4-3 loss uh, to Liverpool, you know, and that would have taken some uh, a, a lot of, of, of motivation and a lot of um, strength to actually come and try and get a win and put three points on the board against a Crystal Palace side who have been going great guns against Roy Hodgson. Um, and credit to them, I thought they dominated that match. Uh, they created a lot of chances. They could have scored more than one goal, if not for uh, Sam Johnston, uh, Heroics, so they deserve the win. You know, Harry Kane, again, with his 26th goal of the season, right place at the right time. And it'll be really interesting to see how Spurs do between now and the end of the season because they are in sixth spot. Uh, Champions League look a bridge too far because you have Man United and Liverpool there. Um, and, you know, it, it might be a case of rebuilding uh, because Ryan Mason will not be around most likely for the new season. They have been already looking at a couple of candidates. So I think this is just 
to get them to the end of season and then from there it will be a rebuilding process all over again for for Spurs and that includes Harry Kane as well you know if Spurs do not qualify for the Champions League I think he will most likely leave because he's at an age where he needs to play at the highest level and you know for a player of his caliber to not uh, you know feature in Champions League uh, competition season in season out is such a shame yeah yeah it is uh, so therefore he won't be going to Manchester United <laughs> the question I posed. <laughs> Sean, well, we got a chance now to spend a little bit of time. Bournemouth 1, Chelsea 3. Uh, Chelsea, they're safe. Uh, Chelsea <laughs> fans out there, uh, your team is safe. On 42 points, no big deal. And they've really cemented 11th place. I think it's theirs for, for sure now. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, what a crazy season. And what, I mean, they beat Bournemouth. And Bournemouth, by the way, congratulations to them. That's, it's been a solid season for mm-hmm. them. And what, what Sean, do you think would be the, the, the magic wand to, to do for Chelsea to make them a viable competitive team next season? Firstly, there's a lot of dead weight in that Chelsea team that need to go. Some of you would say are club legends, much like Cesar Spilicueta. Recruitment was poor this season. You could look at the $630 million spent, but was it spent correctly? It was spent over the, the over two coaches right, in Tuchel and, and Graham Potter, there's no identity in that Chelsea team. Whoever comes in after Frank Lampard is gone, which most likely looks like Mauricio Pochettino at the moment, you need to buy players that fit his style of play. And that doesn't mean you go out and buy another seven, eight, ten players. You need to buy two, three players, maybe. They still have three more players, if I'm not mistaken, coming in already in the summer, which were not Pochettino signing. So that's going to be another headache. The one thing that Chelsea have struggled with this entire season is they've never had the same 11 play two games in a row. Mm. That's one big thing right there. And for consistency to happen, you need the same 11, right? There are certain Chelsea players there that I would say have a career there, probably have a good chance to improve from this season, but there are many players that don't make the cut. Raheem Sterling, Obama Young. I've been really impressed with Noni Madueke the last two games against Arsenal, he looked like the best Chelsea player on the field. Against uh, uh, Bournemouth on the weekend, again, he looked really good again, which is something I think Chelsea fans would be really happy about. English boy from London performing really well. So you got to build the team for next season around certain players. Enzo Fernandez, Noni Mudueke, Mudrik, I don't know, still up in the air. He, he needs to find himself in that team as well. Once that team is built around certain players, which I think the aforementioned I said earlier, Chelsea can be competitive again. I don't think they'll be competing for the league next season, but I don't think they'll be in 11th place next season if that's any consolation. Nicholas, I'm going to invite you to become the, the next manager of Chelsea. Uh, and uh, and uh, what would, yeah, do you, do you agree with Sean there? Yeah, definitely. Uh, but I don't think the spending will stop. I think. A new manager comes in, a new manager has his own list of targets, a new manager will bring in uh, his own backroom staff. So the spending has to continue. Now, like Sean mentioned, recruitment has to be more spot on because I I look at the Chelsea team and I see a lot of deadweights there. Uh, First and foremost, they do not have a recognised striker who can give you 15, 20 goals. Kai Howard has played there. Abu Mayang has played there. So you've had all these makeshift strikers come and naturally they are expected to play an immediate impact because it's Chelsea, the expectations are high, but they've not delivered. So for me, first order of business is to get rid of the dead weight. Pierre-Emerick Abumayang has already said he wants to return to Barcelona. Let him go, you know, get someone who can get you 15, 20 goals. Lukaku has, I think, expressed interest uh, in returning to Chelsea. I don't know if it'll be a good move, but 
you got to weigh your options and get someone who can who can plunder in the goals. And another thing is to not simply offer players uh, these massive contracts. Enzo Fernandez is on what eight and a half years contract. What? I think I think there are a couple of other players who are, who are on contracts more than five years, and it just doesn't make sense because of so many reasons, right? Uh, you're not performing, you get injured, and then you're just paying wages, and and you're losing a lot of money, and and it's not translating to success on the pitch. So, yeah. uh, I think this has got to be Chelsea's biggest priority: getting the right man in and being savvy about spending because you can spend. Elite clubs need to spend. But you've got to get your money's worth when you spend. Yeah. Well, I, I guess I'm looking forward to Jose Mourinho's third stint at Chelsea. Uh, <laughs> and also probably the buying of the entire Napoli squad. Uh, <laughs> i I got a feeling that's going to happen too. Uh, we'll take a break. And in a moment, we look at Champions League and, and all the other European things here on Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. More football when we come back. Just for Kicks, BFM 89.9. Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. Welcome back uh, to Just for Kicks with me, Cam Rasla, Nicholas Anil, and Sean Malhotra. And now, Sean, semi-final time in the Champions League. We're going to start with, and also we'll be looking at Europa and the Europa Conference. We're going to start with, I mean, actually, this is a pretty good, pretty good semi-final. Real Madrid versus Manchester City. Pep's not really had the best Champions League uh, uh, run in his time. I mean, he has won, but he's also lost. Is this... Is this the year or Real Madrid just once again too canny and just will just break somebody's arm and give somebody concussion? Uh, I'd day? say, right, if you look at this City team, this is, the, in my opinion, the best iteration of Pep's Manchester City team thus far. I, I said it earlier in the show that I don't see any weaknesses in this Manchester City team, right? I just think they will... When Rooney said it yesterday, he doesn't think... City will just beat Real Madrid. He thinks they will destroy Ooh. Real Madrid. That's what Wayne Rooney said. And I looked at it and I went, it's easy to say that, right? Everyone is, I, I think everyone across Europe is looking at Real Madrid as the underdogs in this tie. But the one thing Real Madrid does better than I think any team in Europe is they thrive off the fact that no one expects them to win because they pull off amazing stuff every time people don't give them any credit for it. So it's easy for me to hear, sit here and say like, oh yeah, City are probably going to walk all over them. But Real Madrid in the Champions League is always a different beast. You don't give them any credit, you doubt them, they come out and bite you. And they'll be, they'll be you know, on a positive right now after winning the Copa del Rey as well over the weekend. They'll have incentive. I think it's going to be a great game. You're going to see City dominate most of the game, but Madrid are going to get their chances. Now, the question is whether or not Madrid put away their chances. It will be dominated by City. Okay, get off the fence. Get off the uh, fence. Call, call, call it, Sean. I think this will be too much for Real Madrid this time, and I'll say City will win over two leagues. Okay. I don't want that to happen, but yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um. And uh, meanwhile, then, uh, I want to jump ahead because listeners, I think we... We we know we know Man City and and to a degree uh, Real Madrid, but I don't think we know enough about the Italian teams. And Nicholas, if I, I don't have great affection for either AC Milan or Inter Milan, but if you could give me a ticket to go watch any match, I would want to go to the San Siro to watch this. I think it could be absolutely the atmosphere could just be off the charts. And of these two teams, you you know Italian football far better than I do. Where do you see this one going? It's it's going to be so tight to make a prediction to call this game because if if you look at both teams, uh, they're not actually uh, too far apart. Even if you look at their league standings, right? Milan is fifth, Inter is fourth, uh, 
Inter are definitely coming into this game with way in way better form. Uh, they've won their last four league matches. Uh, Milan have started even though they won at the weekend. But I think this goes beyond just uh, being Syria rivals, right? This is two teams in the same city, and it's a city that has no separation. So you know, apart from the fact that both these teams share the same stadium. They share the city. They share same neighborhoods. You know, uh, the players' kids go to the same schools. You know, they probably visit the same grocery marts. So you know, when you infuse all of this, it's it's just so difficult to say how how do you even pledge your your allegiance, right? But but these teams have both huge uh, sets of supporters. You know, who are who are so raucous in in their support. And I was reading an article about about the preview of this match, and, and Nesta said, you know, it, both, both these teams have been starved of European success. You know, it's been a while since they have been this high in the echelons of uh, Champions League, and as such, it's going to be a very dirty game. It's going to be very conservative. It's going to be very ugly. You can expect a intense physical battle, and more importantly, don't expect a lot of goals. And I think this is exactly what's going to happen. Don't expect to see many goals. Perhaps the odd goal uh, might be sufficient for a slim lead, but I expect to see uh, lots of yellow cards produced, maybe even several red cards. That sounds like a really typical Italian game. So uh, <laughs> call it there, Nicholas. Just based on current form and the fact that Milan could be without Rafael Leao, who's been um, their catalyst this season, I think Inter might edge it by the odd goal. Sean, where do you see this one going? And which um, which defenders can we expect to be high-fiving each other with, with amazing goal line clearances? <laughs> well, at the start of the season, I put all my eggs in one basket when it came to Napoli. So I have to support the team that knocked Napoli out. <laughs> so I'm going to go for, for Milan to take this. I just feel like after what they did against Napoli, they just look like they have a different gear when it comes to the Champions League this season. I don't know if they can do that against Inter. You know, but there's every opportunity in a Milan derby that they can. Mm. So I think they'll they'll take it. Okay. And let's give some time then to uh, the Europa League, which it, it's hotting up now. Some good names here as well. Uh, Nicholas, it, this could be a very good year for Italian clubs. Juventus, I think the wealthiest and most uh, popular club in Italy. Juventus versus Sevilla. Sevilla who always win the Europa League, but it's not the Sevilla of old, but they're still there. This could be this could be an interesting one. Yeah, it could. Uh, I think Juventus are on a, on a bounce as well. I think recently they had some points deduction rescinded in the Syria, you know, so they are on that, that sort of bounce. Uh, you know, they have done well to make uh, this uh, Europa League, but again, you're, you're looking at the masters of uh, Europa League, uh, which are Sevilla, so we are for what they did to United in the last round. You know that that has to be something that uh, was so amazing in terms of his achievement over two legs, right? Uh, United obviously dominated that first leg. Uh, so we are got lucky with their own goals, but what a job they did, you know, in the return leg against United. And for them having this away goal at uh, playing away in the first leg. I think has got to work in their favor. You know, they will set out to keep it tight. They will look to play on the counter attack and they will look most importantly to keep a clean sheet. And then when they go back, that's when I think they will do the damage on the way. Okay. So, uh, and then, well, who do you think is going to win then, Nicholas? I think this, this will go to Sevilla. 
simply uh-huh. because of their past track record, simply because of how they did United in the last round. Uh, what do you think, uh, Sean? Uh, Juventus, Sevilla? I'd have to agree with Nick, to be honest. I mean, I got to watch that Sevilla team firsthand. And I, I said it at the time, you know, cautiously optimistic because much like Real Madrid, when it comes to the Champions League, Sevilla just know how to play in the Europa League, right? It's like they can be horrible, be in relegation for all you know. But when it comes to the Europa League games, they just turn it on. They just know how to play football. There's an incentive for that team to win it. It's like it's in their blood. I think they've won it six times. <laughs> so they just want to win it. I'm mm. not saying Juventus don't have a chance here because they're also on the up. You know, they've been performing lately. Plus, they have Pogba back. Uh, I yeah, Over two legs, I'd have to give it to Sevilla. The fact that they play at home in the second leg, I just have to draw it back to how they played against United at home. They were dominant. They were faster. They were more aggressive. I don't think Juventus are prepared for such a team. So I think Sevilla take it over two legs. Yeah, I'm not so sure. I, I don't. You, you don't get to play against Maguire all the time. Uh, so, <laughs> so, Juventus have a chance. <laughs> Meanwhile, though, Roma, I've mentioned him in his name already. I think if I mention him three times, then uh, something terrible happens. But mm-hmm. uh, I'll say it one more time. Jose Mourinho's Roma. Bayer Leverkusen. Oh, God, please don't tell me, Nicholas, that uh, Jose Mourinho is going to win the Europa Cup. I, oh, I can't take it. I don't think so. Yeah, of course, you know, we know how Mourinho is, uh, you know, especially in European competitions and his track record uh, of, of winning uh, trophies uh, in, in Europe. But Bayern Leverkusen has really impressed me. Um, and more notably, the fact that they've got Liverpool and Bayern Munich legend Zabi Alonso in their ranks. Now, Zabi Alonso has done such an amazing job with this team. And I think it's gone unnoticed to a certain extent because it's Bayer Leverkusen. You're not, they're, they're not these uh, European big weeks or, or, or even a dominant force in, in the German league. When Zabi Alonso took over, Bayer Leverkusen were actually in the relegation fodder. And fast forward how many months? He took over end of October. And in just seven months, you know, they're up there now in the Bundesliga in sixth place. And they've made it all the way uh, to the semi-finals of uh, the Europa League. So I think Bayer Leverkusen uh, will go into this match as underdogs, but they have so much in them to give uh, Roma a run for their money. And I think that Xavi Alonso will inspire Leverkusen to a win. Over two legs against Mourinho. Uh, and Sean, do you agree? Do you think uh, Bayer Leverkusen? Like Nick was saying, I think... Uh, Bayer Leverkusen under Xabi Alonso has been a joy to watch. They play some great football, I'm not going to lie. But I don't know. I'm, I, there's a part of me that feels Mourinho really wants this. They don't have, you could say, entirely much to play for in Serie A. They're fighting for you know Champions League qualification currently in Serie A. But this is a chance for him to, to completely be a massive legend in Roma. <laughs> Already winning the Conference uh, League last season. He can do something I don't think any Roma manager has ever done, which is win two European titles in two seasons, which I think will, will weigh on him. But you know how Mourinho is, he won't show it. I said it just like I talked about Napoli, and I may be proven wrong yet again, but my bet is still on Roma to take this all the way. So I think, in a way, I think they'll win this quite easily against Leverkusen. It's a big shout, but I think they'll win it quite easily because Mourinho knows how to play dirty. He will frustrate that Bayer Leverkusen team to points that I don't think Xavi Alonso is prepared for. 
mind you, Xavi Alonso has played under Jose Mourinho before, so he should know a thing or two about what Mourinho is going to do. But in action, I think it's just going to frustrate the Leverkusen players beyond belief. I can see that. And uh, uh, yeah, I can't bear it. I don't want it to <laughs> just be too much. Um, I'm going to challenge your knowledge now, Nicholas. Fiorentina FC Basel. Uh, talk about Fiorentina without saying Gabriel Bastusta once. I, I, that's all I know. Fiorentina have surprised me actually in the Europa League. They are, they are, their league form is, is is nothing to shout about, but in the European Europa Conference League, they've, they've been amazing. They, they are actually the 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 competition's most prolific uh, team in front of goal. They've scored 32 goals so far. Um, and they've got two strikers who can absolutely destroy any team in this competition, Luka Jovic and also Arthur Kapral. So they have been really impressive. They've had a great away record um, in this tournament. They've scored 18 goals in the last uh, five away matches. Uh, so they're coming into this competition with so much of confidence, with two strikers who can who can bang in the goals from anywhere. Um, and I think that's what's going to be the difference uh, against uh, this Basel side. So I expect Fiorentina to be winning uh, this first leg at least rather comfortably. Okay, uh, name the right back for FC Basel. <laughs> you got me there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you asked me about 10, 15 years ago, I'd be able to tell you that Basel team. Now I'm just like, what? <laughs> uh, Sean, uh, meanwhile, we got uh, in the other semi final for the Europa Conference, we got West Ham versus AZ Alkmaar. And wouldn't it be an amazing season for David Moyes and West Ham? Can it, can it be an amazing season? I mean, it can. They've. I think they've put a lot of their resources into this competition. They really want to win it, right? He's rested players, David Moyes, and I'm talking about that. He's got a very fit Declan Rice again, who I didn't get to say it earlier, but was my man in the match last night against United. And But they're not going against an easy team. Is that Alkama on a high? You know, they held Ajax the other day. They they play some really good football. I think it's just a Dutch thing where they play good football. Unless your name is Ajax and you don't have Eric Den Hag, I think it's going to be a lot closer than everyone thinks. But it's definitely the the tie, the 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 highlight tie, you know, for the semifinals. I think this is going to be a step too far for West Ham. They'll probably scrape a a win at home, but I think when they go back to Holland, I don't think they they, they can do much against that AZ Alkama team who have been scoring goals for fun. So I, I, I see the Dutch team progressing to the finals. But it could be all Italian. Champions League, Europa and Europa Conference. Is that phenomenal for such a boring league that they could have so many teams in the finals? <laughs> you said it. I might say it too. Boring. But anyway, uh, in a moment though, we're going to uh, return and we're going to look go back to the, um, the EPL and look at the fight at the bottom of tonight's matches here on Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. More football when we come back. Just for Kicks, BFM 89.9. Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. Welcome back to part four with Nicholas and Sean. And now, Nicholas, you have an eye for the bottom of the EPL and because you support Leeds. And tonight there are three matches being played. uh, Well, tomorrow morning. All of which just by chance happen to be relegation relegation battles. I've written it down twice, wrongly. So apparently Leicester are playing... (laughs) twice tonight which is not true (laughs) (laughs) and i have to remind myself but it's gonna be fulham versus not leicester uh it is leicester sorry yeah 
Nicholas, Fulham versus Leicester. I just got to yeah. remind us that at the bottom of the table, we have three teams on 30 points, only distance by uh, goal difference. Leicester is, well, they're in the relegation fight, and I don't know why, how it happened, but do you think they can uh, do something? Uh, for this match, yeah. You know, you, they, they're going uh, to play a Fulham team that have not done great themselves. Uh, Fulham have lost their last three matches with the last one, I think, coming against Liverpool last week. Uh, so just based on that record, uh, Leicester would have uh, a lot of optimism that they could go to Craven Cottage and get something uh, from this match. But again, these Leicester players need to deliver. I think if you look at the squad as a whole, they've got a lot of quality there. You know, you look at the likes of James Madison, Harvey Barn, even Iniacho. You know, these are players that could be game changers on their day. But, you know, the magic uh, that these players produce have been far and few between. And, and that's really what has gotten uh, Leicester into the fix that they are in. You know, defensively, uh, they've not been stable either. I, I still think they are reeling from the loss of uh, selling Casper Schmeichel because that goalkeeping position has really, really not uh, been stable for them. They've conceded a lot of goals as well. So for me, for Leicester to get something out of this game is to try and keep it as tight as the at, at the back. Um, I know they will get goals because they are capable of scoring goals. You know, they have a few people that can contribute uh, when it comes to goals, but you know, they struggle to keep clean sheets, and that will be very, very, very crucial against uh, a Fulham side who are very, very good on the counter attack. And if Mitrovic is fit, uh, he will cause them a lot of problems. Uh, meanwhile, Sean, it's going to be Brighton versus Everton. I was watching a little video talking about the absolute financial disaster that this would be for Everton. Can Everton, who are also on 30 points, can they pull themselves? No, sorry, they're on 29 points. Can they save themselves? I said it at the start of the season that I thought Everton would go down and my stance hasn't changed. There's nothing in that Everton team that makes me think they can fight the drop. To compound things, to make things even worse, they're playing against a team that is ruthless when they want to play, right? Brighton are a team that I think hasn't been given enough credit this season under Roberto De Zerbi. To come in at a time where I, I'm pretty sure Brighton never thought, you know, Graham Potter was going to leave like that within a blink of an eye. But they brought in a man who not only has taken over Graham Potter's role quite well, but made them 10 times better, in my opinion. I don't see how Everton get a goal against Brighton. Defensively, I mean, I've gotten to see Brighton over the last three weeks because, you know, United have played them twice. Defensively, they're solid. They are so good at the back. I, I fear for Everton. I, I honestly think, I think this they've been in a top flight of English football for, what, 68 years, 69 years, something like that. I think this is the time where it's too much to ask. There's so many players there that are not Premier League quality. There's so many bad transfer calls, bad managerial calls, and it's going to result in them getting relegated. I They're one of my shoe-ins to, to still go down, and I think Brighton are going to absolutely smash them tonight. Yeah, and if they do go down, according to the video that I watched, uh, <laughs> we may never see them again in the Premier League. It's uh, They would do a Leeds. Um, Nicholas, <laughs> that proud boast. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, uh, Nicholas, Nottingham Forest versus Southampton. So, you look at the table, and I think we can we can ascertain that Southampton are going down. If Everton are going to go down as well, uh, then 
there's two more places left, right? I mean, there's, there's just one more spot left to be filled. And as of this point, Forest occupies that last um, a relegation spot. But they have a respite because they're going to Southampton, who are pretty much, I think, all but relegated. Um, Southampton uh, will not offer much, but Forest have a lot to offer. I think this Forest side have been unlucky uh, in some of the results. They've put in good shifts, they've put in good performance, but somehow uh, the lack of goals have costed them dear. There's no better time to play Southampton. And I think they're most likely going to get a win, which would really, really uh, make Leeds' life difficult because ultimately you'll be swapping places. Uh, but if I'm being pragmatic, yeah, I, I, I would say Forrest will show in for the win. Uh, uh, so therefore, Sean, who do you think the, the three relegated teams are going to be? I, I, don't look at Nicholas. Don't look at his face. You, you can say Leeds. I think Southampton, like Nick said, show in to get relegated. Second one is Everton. I see no hope for them. They're lucky to even just be a point behind, but yeah, I think there's no hope for them. That last spot, I think Forrest will go down. The reason why I say that is because I think Leeds may have left it late by hiring Sam Allardyce, but you have an expert at surviving the drop in Sam Allardyce, and he's not afraid to make big calls. So these last four games, if I'm not mistaken, for Leeds or, or three games, is going to be massive. I don't think Forrest win tonight, by the way. So that could, could you know make Nick, Nick feel a little bit more easier. So yeah, hopefully. let's hope so. <laughs> and Leicester losing too, you know, because Leicester, uh, bear in mind, are on the same points as Forrest and also Leeds. So a uh-huh. loss for, for them would throw them right back in it. So, three, yeah. yeah, three teams on 30 points. That's insane. I was thinking, though, that actually I think a sensible uh, financial decision at the beginning of the season, if you're thinking you might be in trouble is to actually have two managers, to hire Neil Warnock, um, pay him a wage, he doesn't have to do anything, you have your Rafa Benitez or whatever at first, and then when it starts getting bad, then then you just, you just swap them over. And it would be so much cheaper. Um, think about that, Premier League <laughs> teams. <laughs> so, uh, meanwhile, though, the Malaysian game, uh, international game, Nicholas, uh, Sea Games, how, how's it going for Malaysia? Well, we're playing... Vietnam tonight on the back of a 2-0 loss against Thailand. Uh, so this game is an absolute must win. Uh, not forgetting Vietnam are defending champions, so it's not going to be easy. Um, I think the team, uh, they've done well in preparation for the SEA Games. Uh, there was a friendly tournament in Singapore called the Merlion Cup, uh, and Malaysia actually did well to win it. Uh, started the SEA Games campaign off very well. We beat Laos 5-1. Uh, but there was two defensive lapses against Thailand, which costed us dear. And now we've got this must-win game against uh, Vietnam, and we go into this match as underdogs. And Malaysia are in a in, in a group of death, uh, uh, dubbed the group of death with Vietnam, Thailand, and even there's, there's Singapore there as well. So um, must-win, uh, anything but a win. Uh, would ultimately give uh, Vietnam and Thailand the edge because they are already in the driving seat. So uh, let's hope the boys can go out there, give their best, and somehow try to get a result against uh, this Vietnam side. Yeah, yeah. good luck. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, well, that brings us to the end of this week's show. And uh, we have some you know, exciting uh, European football coming up over the week. And uh, Sean will not be watching because his, his Manchester United no longer there. I'm going to value my sleep for once. <laughs> <laughs> and Nicholas has no reason to watch you whatsoever. So, uh, 
Thank you very much to Nicholas Anil. Thanks, Cam. And I will be watching the Madrid City. I mean, no, no neutral fan in their right mind would want to give this a miss, right? Okay. Uh, Sean Mahotra. Hey, thanks, guys. I can, uh, I, honestly, I'll probably watch the City Real Madrid game just out of necessity. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. have a good week, everyone. And thanks to our producer for this week's show, Daryl Ong, and uh, myself, Cam Reslan. And see you next time on Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. Football tune in Mondays and Fridays at 8pm just for kicks on BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.